This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want you to go to the book of Peter, 1 Peter tonight, and you can get the fifth chapter opened up in front of you, 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read some words from this good man, Peter, who has... uh, even has been brought up again tonight from Pastor Ned's comments about uh, the journey of many things that Peter had to learn, that we all need to learn. And when Peter wrote the two letters, First and Second Peter, he was writing to friends and people, he was writing to God's people who were going through a great deal of heavy, heavy persecution. Uh, the persecution had come about as a result of the uh, abuse uh, coming from the Roman Empire because the, the Caesar at that time was Nero. Crazy Nero. You know, I don't know if anybody that's ever named their child Nero. We may call our dog Nero, but we don't call our child Nero. Now, if you happen to have it as a middle name, God bless you. I don't know of anybody. Nero was not in his right mind much of the time. It really is true that he fiddled while Rome burned. The fact is he had ordered for Rome to be burned. He had such an insatiable desire to build buildings that when he ran out of space to build new construction sites, he had uh, some of it burnt down so that he could rebuild buildings. And the Roman citizenry were furious at what was obvious to them that this came from the government. You know, can you imagine the citizens getting upset with the government? Go figure. And, uh, and so they were upset with him doing what they did, and he, 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 of course, he deflected. He didn't take responsibility. Now, of course, we don't have that today. But, I mean, uh, he, he deflected. Folks, the humor doesn't get any better than this. All right, I'm sorry. Just put up with me for one last sermon, would you? And the truth is, oh, Nero said, no, 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 it wasn't me. I didn't cause it. He said, it's that group of people that are called Christians. They're the ones who were responsible for burning your cities and your buildings and your homes. Let's let's persecute them. And a rise of persecution began to take place. And God's people didn't get together like what we're doing right here in a safe and secure location. They had to go, as we would often say, underground. In fact, most... People believe that when Peter referred to the church in Babylon, it was a code name for the church at Rome, the church that was underground, because there was no place in Babylon to gather. And he was not writing to the people in the Babylon area. He was writing to the church people there in the Rome. And it was sort of somewhat of a code name so they keep them from getting into further trouble. Of course, in the first Peter's, the first epistle that Peter writes, he he would say to them, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. It's easy to read those words and even memorize them, but when you're in the midst of fiery trials, There are times in which you've got to cling to that truth. I am participating in the sufferings of Christ. Can I ask you something? When did you grow the most? When when do you grow the most in your Christian life? When everything is smooth or when everything's turbulent? We are drawn closer to our Savior if you will allow him to do so in your life during times of heartache and trouble. We come to this, what we call chapter 5. Peter, of course, didn't write with chapter divisions. But he's rounding the corner and he's ending his letter. The very first part of of chapter 5, he calls on the the pastoral leaders, the elders, the leadership, to be faithful in their feeding of the flock of God and leading, to feed and to lead and to not lord over them like some kind of a dictator uh, dictating every move they make and Then he says, beginning in verse 5, look at it. He says, and likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Peter understood the 
the bent of humanity, the natural bent toward pride that's in every one of our lives. And so he says, now, for you to have the right kind of relationship with other people, put on the clothing, put it on, make it a part of your life to stay in a state of humility. And in case you didn't get it, he quotes a verse from the Proverbs. He goes on to say, the middle of, of verse 5, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And in case we still haven't gotten it, he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, the words exalt you in due time does not mean that if you'll stay humble under God's mighty hand, that he will exalt you in everybody's eyes. They'll look at you and they'll say, oh, what a great super saint, what a super Christian you are. You'll be exalted. That's not what he's saying at all. The idea there is he's saying, you, you've been knocked off your feet with all the difficulties that you're going through. This is a letter of encouragement. And he's saying, just stay under the sovereign, protective, strengthening, working hand of God over you as he's overseeing what you're going through and he will lift you up in due time. Then he says in verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, you're not the only one going through these things. I love this. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Most of the time, my wife, Lynn, is with me. This is a, really a rare time for us not to be together in, in our travel ministry. And, uh, but there are times in which, as it has been like this week, this weekend, for her needing to be home, but uh, a lot of times in the summer months, I'm, I'm privileged to preach uh, to young people across the country in the various teen camps uh, that are uh, all over our country. As a result of that, uh, I, I, I have no rhyme or reason as to the schedule as to where I get to, scheduled to go. I may be in Michigan one weekend and down in North Carolina the next and then California the next and then... Uh, up in New England the next, and down in Tennessee next, and it just kind of goes back and forth. So therefore, in the summer months, I don't usually drive. I do a whole lot of flying. Usually driving, Lynn and I can easily go together in these places. And so a few years back, she said, Morris, she said, uh, what about me staying home during the summer, those eight weeks that you're out traveling in camps? And, and she says, I can work on some home project. You can come home in between the weeks and on the weekend come home and uh, we can see each other and then you pop on another plane and take off. And she goes, when it works out, and I said, you know, that's a good idea. So she started doing that. At one time, we were living in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, she had a project she wanted to work on that particular summer of getting a couple of rooms painted and then to make some drapes and curtains for uh, a bedroom or so. So she had, some, she had this limited amount of time. She was going to work on these projects and get it done. And she had found out that there was, uh, uh, ladies, you'll like this, a sale on at uh, Sherwin-Williams Paint Store. Now, you know, whenever a lady sees the word sale, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean antennas go up and, and it's, uh, it's a great new day. And I always say, I can tell you how we can save more money. Just don't go. But nevertheless, uh, uh, she says, I, she goes, this is a great, and there was a one-day sale at Sherwin-Williams, and she was going to get the paint that we needed, uh, that she needed to paint rooms. Well, we have a, a, a kind of a car that, we, a kind of a car, it's a car that she keeps there at the house that she drives whenever she's home, and I'm gone if I'm out on the road. And so I was in the camp uh, uh, 
schedule, and so I had uh, gone to some airport and, and parked the uh, car there and jumped on a plane, and I was actually in California this one particular week, and, and she was there back there in Indiana. And while she was there, uh, she got in the car to leave, and as she was pulling out of the driveway, she heard the most horrible sound. She heard a scratching, squawking, uh, uh, a screeching sound, scared her to death. And she just simply pulled the car right back up in the driveway into the, into the garage, came inside and called me. And she said, Morris, what am I going to do? She says, something's wrong with the car. Now, I'm about as mechanical as the man in the moon. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not a good mechanic, and so I, I wasn't able to help her. Plus, I was about 2,000 miles away. And so I, I said, well, tell me what you heard when she explained it to me. And I said, well, is it coming under, from underneath the hood? No. She says, it sounds like it's out by the wheels. I said, I, know what, I think I know what that is. This is one of those brief moments in which I knew something. I said, I think it's the brake pads need to be replaced. And I said, and it starts making that noise, that racket, to let you know it's time for them to be replaced. I said, you're, you're, you're okay. You can drive the car up to uh, some mechanic shop up the road a piece, five or six miles from our home, and get it repaired. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to drive the car. I don't want to do that. She said, it may not be the brake pads. And I said, yeah. You're right, it may not be, and I don't want, she goes, I don't want to break down. You're not here, and I said, that's true. I don't want that to happen either. She says, what am I going to do? She goes, there's a sale on it, Sherwin-Williams. What am I going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, uh, I, I said let me think. And now, look, uh, we're gone all the time. I don't know who's available to work on cars and things like that. I don't know of any mechanics that are available where we lived at the time. And uh, I said, I'm not real sure. What, what can be done? I don't know. And finally, I said, uh, I, you know, I can't just leave here and come back and help you. I said, I don't know. I said, I said, let me, I said let, let's just hang up for a second. Let me have a few moments to think about it, and I'll get right back to you. I hung up. She hung up, and I said, Lord, what can I tell her? What can I do? I'm really at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. And I thought, I got two sons. They both live right there in Indianapolis as well. One of them's a youth pastor. Now he's an evangelist. But I mean, I thought, uh, he knows about cars by as much as I do, which means we're in trouble. And I thought, uh, he can't help. And my other son was a busy businessman working at an industry there in town. And I thought, he's, he never answers his phone when I call because he's so busy, just not able to, to answer. And I said, I don't know who to call. And on a whim, I decided to call uh, our son that was working at his place of business and I called him and lo and behold he answered I said hey kid I said man I'm glad you answered I said man I said uh, uh, let me tell you what's going on I told him about his mom and he said and he, he was listening to me and I said I don't know why I'm calling you I just don't have anybody else to call I don't know what to do and he said dad I'll take care of it I said no I mean I know you you're at work and you can't do much until after you get off work. I said, Mom, Mom needs to get to Sherwin-Williams now. And I said, I'm just telling you. Uh, I said, it's real. He goes, Dad, I'll take care of Mom. I said, what do you mean you'll take care of Mom? He said, Dad. He said, I got three mechanics that work for us right here at, this, at our shop. He said, I'm on break right now. I'll drive my car to Mom. She can use my car to do what she needs to do. I'll drive her car back up here to the shop. He said, at lunch, we'll take her tires off and look at the brakes, and I'll go buy the parts uh, for her uh, brake pads. I said, you're going to buy them? He goes, yeah, I'll buy them. I said, who is this? I need to know. What, what have you done with my son? What do you mean you're going to buy them? He goes, Dad, I'll take care of Mom. I really will. And I said, well, okay. Now, the husband in me, the male in me, guys, you understand this, I still wanted to be a part of the solution. I still wanted to be involved with something to make it happen, but I didn't know what I could do. And I finally, I said, well, um, what do you need from me? What, what can I do? I'll never forget his classic answer. He said to me, hang up the phone. That's all I need you to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, dad, I can't call mom and tell her I'm on the way. And he said, I can't take care of her as long as I'm sitting here on the phone with you. He said, dad, you go do what you do. He said, I'll take care of mom. I got it. I called Lynn back in about 15 minutes and I said, well, what about that? She said, yeah. She said, he's going to come on over here and take care of it. She goes, I'll be good. I'll use his car. And I said, that's great. He told me just to go do what I do and he'd take care of it. With that in mind, 
Would you look with brand new eyes at a verse that you know as well as any verse in the Bible? We just read it. Would you look at verse 7 with me again? Peter said to troubled people, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's like the Lord is saying through his man Peter, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you give me your heartache, you give me your trial, you give me your sorrow, you give me your anxiety, you give me your disturbance, give it to me, I'll take it, because I care for you. Don't you live with it. I've got it. It's as if the Lord is saying, I have gave permission for that care so that you would turn around and pursue me to give it back to me. Peter was concerned about people. He could almost feel their hurting. He could feel their fears. He could feel their moments of anxiety. Does your life... Is your life from time to time periodically classified as a, as, as a life that's eaten up with anxiousness, worry? Are you a worrier? I've discovered, and don't look, at, don't look at anybody when I say this, but I've discovered that in everybody's home, there is at least one person who is the resident worrier, okay? I mean, they worry more than anybody else because they're afraid everybody else is forgetting to worry about things, you know? But we all worry. We all do. We all know what it is to worry. In fact, even right now as I bring up the subject of worrying, you may be sitting there going, are you going to preach on worry? Don't worry about it. The truth is, <laughs> the Bible is telling us that there's going to be cares in our life and there's something that we're supposed to do with it. You say to me tonight, maybe, you say, Brother Morris, I'm doing fine. Really, I don't have any real cares. I don't have any real worries. I don't have any anxiety. Well, I say to you, I'm glad. I'm really happy for you. If everything is going smooth for you right now, all I can say to you is just keep going to bed at night and keep getting up in the mornings, keep breathing, because it won't be any time before long you'll be saying, what, what, what was that the Bible said? Because I'm having some real hardships right now. Peter was writing to people who were going through various trials. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We get frustrated aggravated in fact sometimes you find you find that you you feel like your value in life is only based upon your success at work or or our smoothness of life and when things are unraveling you feel like i'm not worth much and everything is not the way it needs to be and 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 you're all troubled and 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 you're not getting approval from other people and and they're not recognizing you for what you are what you do and so you just feel like i'm not doing as well as what i should and your cares come financially and they come emotionally, and they come relationally, and they come physically, and they come into the realm of the various unknowns of cares. So three years ago, early February, three years ago this month, after several tests had been run on me, X-rays that didn't reveal enough, two MRIs, a bone marrow biopsy, which you need to pray you'll never have to get it. A doctor looked at me and he said, okay, you have multiple myeloma. I'd never heard those words in my life. And he started talking about what needed to be done starts throwing out words like radiation and chemo and transplants. And, and I said, doctor, doctor, is this cancer? Because he had never used the word. He said, yes. And my head dropped. And my world came to a screeching halt. That which my wife and I had prayed would not happen as we began to deal with what I was going through all of a sudden, the Lord says, no, you're going to have cancer. And all I could think about was, I've got to go to churches and preach, and I go to summer camps in the summer, and I've got, I, and I said, doctor, how long is this going to take? That's exactly what I said. How long is this going to take? Like he would know. 
I actually asked him, I said, is this growth that you found on my, my spine, I said, can it just be surgically removed and it be gone? He said, no, that's not the way it works. I said, I travel and I preach and I've got, this is my life. He said, it's going to take several months. And he was right. It took an entire year to treat it. And the process began. The radiation. The dealing with chemo. Low doses that finally led to a major dose. And then the stem cell bone marrow transplant. Taking my own stem cells out of me. Pumping me up with all kinds of chemo to kill off any rogue cells. Putting the stem cells back in. And the stem cells went to where they needed to be. And I was told that I was getting a rebooting, a restart of life. That's what they called it. Nurses came into my hospital room and they actually sang, not happy birthday, they sang happy transplant day. They said, this is a restarting of your life. I said, do I have to do junior high all over again? I said, please don't make me do that. My immune system was completely brought down to the bottom level and rebooted. I, mothers, I had, to go, I had to go get my immunization shots like a, like a little child all over again. And after a full year of that, watching my blood levels and so forth, the doctor looked at me and he says, okay, we got it all. And he says, you're in remission. He didn't smile when he said it. I thought, I looked at Lynn and I thought, isn't that good news? I mean, I'm, I'm in remission. Isn't that good? And we looked at the nurse in the room and she smiled. She said, great, congratulations. I said, go hug her neck. I said, somebody's happy. The doctor's just kind of, you know, I think he was worried about his wallet or something. I don't know that I'm going to be out of his hands for a while. The truth is, during that full year, and I will say even since, I don't, want to ever go, I don't want to ever go through cancer again. I may have to, but I don't want to. But I, I would take nothing for what I learned during a year when all I had was time alone with the Lord and the journey of clinging to passages of Scripture that became my anchors. And one main anchor verse, might have been the first one I clung to, was 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. What can we learn from casting all your care upon him for he careth for you? Can I just give you some thoughts from it? First thing we learn from this verse is this, the inevitable reality. What is the inevitable reality? There are cares in life and we're going to have them. Peter didn't say to these people, look, some of you who are reading this letter that I send to the, to the church people, some of you are going to have some real cares. Now, others of you won't have troubles. You won't have worries. You're not going to have any fiery trials, but some of you will. So those of you who will not have them, just give, give us a little room. Let me finish up with some folks here and give them some instruction. That's not the way he's talking. He is talking to the entire church. He's saying, you're going to have cares and you know it. And they could get worse than what you've gone through right now. And he's saying to them, you're going to have cares. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It's unalterable. You're going to have some type of suffering, whatever level of hurt it could be. But no matter what trouble or care you may go through, mark it down, mark it down. It went through your heavenly Father's hands of permission first. Every trial, are, they are Father-filtered. Many a person battles with worries and fears, anxiousness, fretfulness, depression, they get to the point to where they don't want to eat. They don't want to sleep. The truth is we would avoid these cares if we could. We would. I mean, if the Lord sent an angel to us at night and said, uh, the Lord sent me here to tell you that uh, you're scheduled for a, you know, a car accident tomorrow afternoon at 3.30. Is that going to work okay on your schedule? We'd say, uh, let me think about that. No, that's not going to be a good time for me. I tell you what, can we put that off for like say, oh, I don't know, 180 years from now? I don't want it. But we don't get asked. 
And the truth is, the Bible is saying to us, it is an, an inevitable reality. You will have cares. The word cares talks about a stirring or a churning of waters, like being, Peter would understand this, being on a ship that was being tossed around by heavy winds. It's being pulled in every direction. It's the picture of someone grabbing your clothes and ripping them in every direction. The word cares there is the idea of being ripped asunder, to be divided, to be distracted, to be pulled and torn in every direction, which clearly affects what? Our emotions. Friends, emotions are a gift from God. I'm not going to condemn emotions. Emotions help us to laugh and enjoy conversations. Emotions make us warm at heart and to have moments of pleasantries with our spouse. Emotions are tools that are given to us to make us more friendly and to make us what we ought to be. But emotions are to be our servant, not our master. It is not to be in the driver's seat of your life. It's to be in the back seat riding along. And being a part of your life because when he gets in the driver's seat, he will lead you into the realm of disturbance and will wreck your life. Look, uh, uh, cares come from, I think, I'm pretty simple-minded. Cares come from, I think, some categories like this. Sometimes they come from our past. Things that happened to us, things that were done to us. Things that we did in our past still is a baggage that we drag along through life. Something that happened to us a long time ago as a, as a member of a pastoral staff before. I've talked to people, even occasionally in my travel as an evangelist, I, someone will say, can I talk to you? And we get to talking and they'll share some uh, horrible story of some painful event that happened to them and I, my heart breaks for them and my hat goes out, uh, my heart goes out, my hat comes off and I'm thinking what they're going through and I'll say, oh, my friend, when, when did this happen? And they'll say, um... It's been 30 years ago now. 30 years. Dragging along this horrible ugliness of the past, making you wearied and, and, and dragging your spiritual life. And I'll tell you what it does. It affects your worship. It's hard to worship God when you're dragging that baggage from the past. It's hard to give of yourself uh, as a servant of the Lord to serve other people because it's like no matter what you're going through, let me tell you what I'm going through. The truth is you begin to become, it's all about you and it leads to a self-centered life to where, honestly, you, you're not where you need to be. We start thinking, oh, I'll tell you, if only, if only, if only I hadn't gone to that school, man. If only I hadn't hung out with those friends. If only I hadn't gone into the military. If only I had have gone into the military. If only I hadn't gone to that party. If only I hadn't taken that first drink. If only I hadn't ventured into that website online. If only, if only. And even though we've asked for forgiveness, we drag the past into today. And it becomes a care that slows. It's like driving down the highway with the, with the, uh, the, the emergency brake on. There's just a drag on your Christian life. Sometimes it's the past and sometimes it's the present. How am I going to get everything done today? I don't know how I'm going to get everything. I mean, I've got so much on my, my schedule. I don't know how I can get it all done. How am I going to pay today's bills? How am I going to get today's uh, uh, things accomplished? How am, how am I going to get these projects done? I don't know. I mean, how am I going to deal with this individual at work today? How am I going to take care of these responsibilities? How is my health going to be today? How, how are my finances going to be? I mean, I don't know how to handle this. Kind of reminds you of that lady, that friend of the Lord Jesus, Martha who Jesus had to say, Martha, 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 you are full of care. You are careful. You are full of care about all kinds of things. Look at Mary. She's come over here to sit and listen. Quit allowing all the pressures of today. Take away the joy of being in the presence of the Lord. It's as if the Lord said, Martha, chill. Now, that's hidden in the Greek, but I think that's probably what he was saying. Catch your breath. Sometimes the cares come from the past. Sometimes they come from the present. Sometimes you've got to be a preacher to get this going, all right? The past, the present. I know what you think I'm going to say. The possibilities. 
of the future. You got to have, who told us to have alliteration? I don't know, but the possibility is the future. If it's not the past that drags us down, it's not the present that drags us down, it's the fear of the future. What in the world, how are we going to handle? What are we going to do about this problem? What if they pass this law? What, what if I lose my job? They're laying people off. What if my car doesn't start? What if, what if my kid doesn't pass geometry again? Uh, what, what, if, what, if, uh, what if the dog runs away? What if the cat comes back? It just couldn't get any worse than that, could it? I'm just telling you. I mean, what if? What if? Cat lovers, I'm sorry. The fact of the matter is, you can eat yourself up worrying about tomorrow and the fact is, God gives you enough strength to face each one particular day. He told us that. A lady went up to her pastor one time and she said, Pastor, I think worrying really does help. He said, what? He, she said, yeah, I think it really helps. It seems to help me. She goes, I've discovered most of the things I worry about never happen. And she says, so it must really help to worry about it ahead of time. He said, no, no, man. He said, you, you've messed up entirely. What are you a worrier about? Did you know tonight there's no question that the Lord is saying to all of us, it is, it is inevitable, it's an inevitable reality, you're going to have cares. And let me tell you something, if we don't get a hold of this truth, those cares will get a hold of us, and it's going to affect your marriage. You're not going to be a joy to be around. Husbands are going to wonder, what kind of mood's wife going to be in when I walk in the door? The wife's going to wonder, what kind of mood's he going to be in? Is he going to bring all those burdens from work home and with him and take it out on us kids are wondering what kind of mood or is mom and dad going to be in siblings don't get along because they take cares from from life into into their relationship and everybody is all disturbed because of the turbulences of life you know something that jesus said the bible tells us in the book of revelation that he is the god of the present the past and the future he is he's in every place where we've been he said i am the first i am the last and I am he that liveth. I am he that is in the present. I am he that was in your past. And I am he in the future. He goes, he goes, no matter what you're going through, I'm there with you. And we know that. And yet we allow the cares to slow us down. I repeat, if you don't have any worries or problems tonight, then just would you hang on to some truth that the scriptures are saying? Because you will. It was Charles Spurgeon. You've heard of him, haven't you? Don't know of a preacher in the world that doesn't quote Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon used to say, he says, every Christian has either just come out of a storm or they're in the midst of a storm or they're soon to enter into a storm. And that is true. Listen to how you talk. Listen to how you respond to problems. Listen to yourself. Watch how you address issues and determine whether or not you're a person who is living with the cares of life like you should. You say, well, what should I do with the cares of life? Great question. There's something that Peter's trying to give us here to understand. I had a, anybody working with young people, have got to be, they got to have the height of an alligator. I'm just telling you. I had a, I had, I don't know why I'm picking on junior hires today, but it's, uh, it's just, uh, they're a great bunch. They're not normal, they're pre-people, but I mean, they're, they're a great <laughs> bunch of people. They really, I love them. But uh, I had this little junior hire come in the office one day, and he said, hey, hey, they called me Pastor G. Hey, Pastor G, I got some, I got some candy for you. <laughs> Here, take it. Right. And, of course, I should have known better. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, what, what, it's still in its wrapping. And I said, well, what is this? He said, have you never had it? And I said, no. He said, take it, take it, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. And I said, I I, I don't trust you. I said, no. I said, I, I don't. He goes, no, take it. He goes, it's fun. It's fun. You, you'll enjoy it. Take it, take it. I should, have, I should have realized by looking at the wrapping what this was. There was a picture, a little cartoon character of this man whose brain was exploding, all right? I said, well, well what is this? He said, it's called a warhead. <laughs> I took that thing and put it in my mouth. Listen, I couldn't control what my face did for the next few moments. My whole face just, just shrunk in. I mean, the, the sourness of that candy just literally drew me. I mean, it was like everything on the inside of me was just reacting to what I had put in my mouth. And, of course, that kid was just having the, the greatest delight of his life. And I wanted to say, why did I get into youth ministry? I don't understand this. And I, I got the thing in my mouth. But after a few moments, all of a sudden, 
It became a sweet piece of candy. And all the sourness, sourness was gone. Peter, in some way, is saying, I know you're going through something that you can't explain. But you just wait. God's doing something you can't see. It's going to be sweet. The inevitable reality, you're going to have cares. Number two, the second thing for us, second lesson to learn is this. And that I call the instant response. What is the instant response? Well, look at the verse again. He simply says, casting. Casting. What should I do with this care? It's inevitable you're going to have them. What should I do with it? The instant response, and I use those words on purpose, is to cast them back on the Lord. The word casting here is a word that means to be thrown suddenly, hurriedly. Little children play that little game, hot potato. Uh, I'm not real sure how it's played. I think there's music being played and you toss this little ball around or whatever it may be and you toss it around and if you're still in your hands when the music stops, you're stuck with it, you're burnt or whatever. The hot potato. The idea there is that when it comes to you, you get rid of it. That's the idea of what you've got here in the word casting. I like a baseball illustration better. It's like an infielder taking the ball and he's not going to lollygag the throw over to first base. He's going to fire it out of his hand as fast as he can. Why? He's got to cast it to get it there before a runner gets there. The idea there is to be casted, to be thrown hurriedly with great energy with great force and to make somebody else responsible for it and that's what the word is saying God's word is saying when you have a care in your life don't hang on to it cast it back to the Lord are you a yo-yo prayer you know what I mean by that you know the yo-yo you, you throw a yo-yo down and it goes down but then you just bring it right back up down and back, right back up are you the kind do you find yourself praying saying oh God take, take this burden Lord it's so heavy I don't know what we're going to do about our family Lord I don't know what we're going to do about this health issue Lord I don't know what to do please take it I'm leaving it with you and then we pick it right back up and carry it with us as we go on a yo-yo person of prayer is a person who doesn't really cast it onto the Lord and make him responsible for it you say, but Brother Morris, I may try that, but it just comes right back. I know. So cast it again. Yeah, but it's going to come back in a few seconds. I know. Then just keep casting. Keep casting. The idea there is to be thrown hurriedly. Our minds get so preoccupied with the sorrow and with the burdens and the cares of life that the wrong king is in charge of our life. Who is that king? King anxiety. Or burden, king care. My son said to me, Dad, just hang up the phone. Don't worry about mom. I got it. You've given it to me. Now go on. Songwriter said, All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. You say, preacher, can you help me a little more? What does it mean to cast? I can give you some admonitions. I think scripturally and I can say experientially, I've discovered, and maybe you have as well, what it means to cast your care upon the Lord means to not demand an explanation from him. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. You don't have to understand. He does. Don't demand an explanation. Live in the revelation. Find your security in what he says, not your emotions. David, the psalmist, said in Psalm 42, in verse 5 and also in verse 11, he starts talking to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who shall yet be the health of your countenance. Did you hear him? The old preacher of yesteryear said, what happened was David stopped listening to himself and started talking to himself. 
Because when you listen to yourself, you're saying, I don't understand. I don't get this. And so instead, he starts talking back to himself and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you depressed, disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who shall yet in time be the health of your countenance. A second lesson to be learned is to refuse to be bitter. Don't be bitter with God. And don't be bitter with anybody else trying to blame other people for whatever problem or care you're carrying. Did you hear it? Don't be bitter. You know, if, that, if that neighbor had not... Don't be bitter. Don't spend your life blaming other people for what the Lord has allowed. If that former family member hadn't done what they'd done. We wouldn't have struggled with the, the issues and the, the family turmoil that we've gone through. Don't be bitter. God's, on, God's in the process of developing something in you that He can't do unless you travel through this highway of care. Another lesson to be learned is to be faithful to God and His will and calling for your life. Be faithful to Him. Because the fact is, there's still a work for you to do for him even when you don't have the, I don't know, the physical or the mental strength that you think you ought to have to do what he's called you to do. Be faithful to him. Don't walk away from the Lord. You need him now more than ever. And then fourthly, you don't want, you don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. Wait. Wait patiently on your God to work. To do what? You remember verse 6? That he may exalt you, lift you up in due time. In his time. He'll lift you up. Let him do whatever he's doing. God brings trials to bring correction upon us, but more importantly, for a perfection in our life to make us more like him. I need to move on. Um, there's an inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. There's the instant response, casting. Here's my favorite part. The incredible reason. <laughs> Why should we cast it on him? What's, what's, what's so incredibly good about this? What's the incredible, <laughs> incredible reason? Look at the end of verse 7. For he careth for you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, when you're going through a hardship, it just helps to know somebody cares, doesn't it? I will say that when I personally was going through my cancer battle, and even to this day I get some, but certainly during that year of real difficulty, I, I, the letters, the emails, the texts, the phone calls, the continual checking on me, it just helped to talk to somebody who cared. I'll tell you the ones who meant the most. I didn't plan on this, but those who meant the most were those who had who'd gone through cancer themselves. And they understood what I was going through. And I can't tell you how many times I would weep as I'd read a card or a text or an email from them as they would say, it's going to be all right. You're going to get through this. It just helps to know when somebody cares. Well, I got the best news in the world. The ultimate one, in capital letters I use that word one, the ultimate one cares for you. He said so right here. You say, but I don't feel like he cares. Then tell your feelings to take a hike. Because it's clearly written in his word. He cares for you. Cast all your cares upon me, he says. I got them. Because I care for you. Uh, can I just say something to you here about the wording and the, and the way in which it's written? I'm not trying to be a Greek uh, brain here. But in the tense and the mood that he's writing here, he is telling us something. He's saying, he's saying it is being done right now. And it's real. This is not uh, hyperbole. This is not uh, something that may happen. He said, it's real. I care for you, and it's happening right now, and it will continue on. It will always be true. You never get away from my care. That's what he's saying. And when he says casting all your care, it's in the plural. Pretty easy to see that. All your care, the word care is in the plural. And every one of our cares, no matter what, if somebody else thinks it's no big deal, it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to the Lord. It's in the plural. Cast all your care, for he careth for you. The word you is in the singular, which means what? It's you and 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 you. And put your name in the blank. He cares for you. 
can put your name in the margin. So he cares for me. He always has. And he always will. And he's doing something that you can't see. I used to sit on the floor and I'd play with baseball cards as a little boy. My mom would be sitting in her chair and she'd be working with some kind of needle craft of some sort. And she'd have this uh, piece of fabric all stretched out and that needle would go down and come back up and down and back up. And as I was sitting on the floor, I'd look up and I'd see all these threads hanging out. And as a good boy that I was, I said, Mom, that sure is ugly. <laughs> I said, that is ugly. What in the world are you doing? She said, well, she didn't miss a beat. She said, well, you can't see what I'm doing. And I said, well, I don't know what you're doing, but it's ugly. And I guess she put up enough of that. And she said, well, you stand up and come over here and get close to me. I came over and I'd get over there close to her and I'd look down and there's a picture of a river or a mountain scene or a butterfly. When I was looking from her vantage point, it was beautiful. But when I was looking at it from my vantage point, it was ugly. And sometimes I say to the Lord, what are you doing? This hurts. This is ugly. This is painful. And I don't understand what you're doing. And sometimes... He allows you to see what he's doing. Not all the time. But what he's doing is a beautiful transformation of our life that couldn't happen unless we went through the suffering. As a little boy one day, one night, my mom and I and my sister were at the house. My dad was gone. He was on, a, I think, a, a business trip of some sort. He would be home late that night. My mom thought she heard somebody breaking in the back door. Well, all she could think about was, I'm here without my husband, and I'm here with two small kids, and I'm scared for our lives. So mom started screaming. I mean, she started yelling, and she, she came running through the front living room where my sister and I were, and she went right through the front door, and we followed her down the street to the neighbor's house. We got to the neighbor's house. That's when I found out that mom thought somebody was breaking in. We'd never had anything like that happen before. I was five. Now, you think about this. As a five-year-old boy, I was frightened to death. The police came to our house. They went through our house. He came back across the street where we were at the neighbors. He said, Mrs. Gleiser, everything's clear. There's nobody in the house. You're good to go. You're safe. You, could go. you can go home. My mother said, no, we're going to wait for my husband to come home. We're just going to stay right here at the neighbors. He said, okay. After a bit, Dad finally came home again, just pitch black dark. It was late. He came, and we called for him across the street. He came over. We told him what was going on. I watched Dad as he walked back across the street. I thought, oh, my. He's going into that house by himself. Got the bravest dad in the world. He walked through that house, and after a bit, he came back, and he said, he says, we're okay. Let's go home. And I thought, go home. I, I thought we'd never go back to that house again. I mean, I, just, just give me my baseball glove and my bicycle. I'm good. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go back. And we walked across the street. I hung to my dad's pant leg. And I said, Dad, did you check all over the house? He said, I did, son. I checked everywhere. I said, did you check every closet? You know, closets are important to little kids. And I said, did you check all the closets? He said, I did. I said, did you check underneath every bed? He said, I did, son. There's nobody there. I said, did you check in the vents of the floor? He could have been a real skinny man down in there. I said, he says, no, son. He said, I, I, nobody's in the house. We're safe. We got inside the house, and Dad said, all right, it's late. <laughs> it's time to go to bed. And I said, go to bed? No way. We'll sit up all night prepared for any trouble that may come. We're not going to bed. And my dad said, son, you're safe. Go to sleep. Go to bed. I went to my bed. I didn't sleep. My, I, laid on the, I laid on my bed. My eyes were as big as the Grand Canyon. I didn't, even, I didn't want to even blink. I was afraid for the moment that I blinked, somebody would be right there on me, you know, in that twinkling of an eye, you know. I was scared to death. And so I was just staring out into the hallway from my room, scared for my life. And have you ever noticed that your house makes strange sounds when everybody's gone to bed? It pops and cracks, and it did. But after a while, I heard someone walking down the, the hall. And then the light came on. And there stood my dad right there by my door, and... He was looking around the house, checking things out, 
trying to give comfort to a boy in his room to tell him, I got it. You can go to sleep. He went on back down to his room and I suppose 30 to 45 minutes passed and dad came walking back down the hall again. He stood right by my door and just looked around the house. He probably stole a glance in there to see if I was looking and I was. I was still awake. He went back down to his room. I don't know how long it was, 30, 45 minutes. He came back the third time. The third time he came back, he had a baseball bat in his hand. I got to tell you, I had mixed emotions at that point. I thought, I wish somebody would break in now. I'd like to see Dad just tear into them with that baseball bat. But I felt my eyes getting heavier and heavier. It was so good to see my dad was still watching over us. The next thing I knew, it was morning. I slept. Daddy was awake. Dad was watching. There are times in my life and in your life in which the Lord has to just remind you, rest. Just rest. I got this. I know what I'm doing. Cast all your care upon me. For I care for you. This verse became an anchor to me. And I told the Lord. If he'd give me opportunity. I'd tell God's people every chance I could. To do the same thing. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Toward the hope of our high calling. Toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.